What is culture without life? In our cultural program we will discuss about the power of culture to change the comprehensions and the actions of our lives. Music, cinema, painting, books, photography, poetry and more and more. If you want to discover more about them, we invite you to join us every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM 89.6. Good morning, dear listeners. It's cultural program and today in the studio, lovers of different cultures, Julia and Sasha. Hello. Hello, and we are very glad to be here with you because today we would like to share some interesting things and facts about Hungary, actually, where we are living now. But not in usual way, I think, Sasha, because we will be describing and telling you about some inventions, maybe, and things which we know or maybe which we have never heard about. So we have many issues to discuss today. Yeah, and actually I'm, you know, very excited about this program because when I was preparing, I learned about so many inventions uh, made by Hungarians that, you know, nowadays we use it in our life and it's difficult to imagine life without these things and I never knew before that it was invented by Hungarians wow yeah it's uh, really the fact that we just use something but we never think about who has opened this or that thing yeah and uh, actually Hungarians are very creative and yeah. very smart and I know that um, there are many Nobel Prize winners in Hungary it's wealth if I'm not mistaken. I'm also curious why Hungarians are so imaginative and uh, creative, but maybe we can try to dig into this topic later. Yeah, I had the same question, by the way, Sasha, because while I was reading all this information about these people and their inventions, I've come to the thought that these people had more than two professions and they, I think, asked themselves. So they had a lot of questions and they wanted to know more about this planet, about physics, mathematics and other science and how it can be included in our daily life. I think that's the question and the answer at the same moment. <laughs> yeah, sure. So yeah, maybe we can start with some really useful and simple things which are very familiar for us and now more or less safe. I'm talking about actually matches or to be precise match sticks. But I would like to say that the process of the creation was not so easy. We know that in ancient times people were sitting and just they were patiently rubbing dry wood <laughs> sticks yes, against each another. But we know that now it's not working for people. And the history of inventions and discoveries in chemistry during these ancient times was very complex and quite confused. But I would like to show you how this invention of matches was developing. So first matches were made in 1805 by the French chemist Jean Chanzel. He was an assistant to Professor Tennard and they opened wooden matches which were ignited when the head came in contact with special mixture, mixture of some chemical substances as sulfur, bertholet salt and cinnabar with concentrated sulfuric acid. A bit complicated for mm -hmm. our ears here, <laughs> but still we will try to manage all these descriptions. And in 1813, the first Austria-Hungary match factory of two people, Meliard and Vic, were opened for the production of chemical matches. So it was like first uh, big step to make a patent and to make it officially. But of course, the question was still how to make it safe. So in uh, 1830, 19-year-old French chemist Charles Soria invented phosphoric matches and he changed this mix of 
chemical substances. So he added white phosphorus and glue. But the most minus of these matches was that they were highly flammable. And even that time there was a very popular English joke in which a whole match says to another half burnt, you see how your bad habit of scratching your head ends. It <laughs> meant that these matches were very easily ignited from these mutual frictions in the box or just when you can rub it uh, with any surface. Oh. So still, yes, that was the question how to make it safe. And the second minus was that actually these um, matches were very unhealthy, I can say, because still some people who wanted to commit suicide could do it with these matches, yes, because when oh. you breathe with this smell, yes, it's ah, poisoning. So it's like poisonous yeah. smell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oof. So we can see that inventions sometimes are really quite dangerous. complex, yes, and dangerous. But people, of course, were looking for this kind of um, how to manage with it. And finally, the decision was found, actually. We are moving further in late 30s of the 19th century. This story leads us to Janusz Irini. Janusz Irini was born in the beginning of 19th century in 1817 and it was a very talented boy. He studied at Vienna Polytechnic Institute and uh, he attended the lectures of Professor Meissner. So Meissner was uh, the next person who wanted to find the safe option for producing matches and, and he decided to use his student <laughs> for that <laughs> yes actually because it was dangerous you know? <laughs> yeah he wanted to show them some experiments so he was trying to change these substances and the answer found his student as we said Janusz Irini so Janusz changed this formula this mixture he had an idea of covering match head not with this poisoning white phosphorus, but with uh, the oxide of lead. So in this case, the matches became safe. It was just the question of, you know, mixing and finding the answers, which chemical components could um, work together in the best way. But his invention had a very sad story, Sasha. It, oh, was, really? it was connected with love, I would like to say. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so this talented guy, of course, could get rich on this invention, but he became interested in the daughter of one Viennese merchant, Istvan Romer. And they were about to have the wedding and the future father-in-law suggested to organize industrial production of his matches. So he said, young people, you should live together, don't worry about everything, I will settle all the business. And uh, Istvan Romer persuaded Janusz Irini to sell this idea to him just for some small amount of money. Such a smart guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I so expect something, you know, tricky. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, it was a great idea to catch this young guy who was in love and mm -hmm. to say like, okay, it will be business, don't be worry. Be in love and yeah, I will yeah. do everything, okay. And uh, can you guess what has happened in the end? I'm afraid that yeah. uh, he didn't get any money at all and it wasn't married. No? Yes, Sasha, oh. actually, you're right. It is a really sad story. So in the end, Janusz didn't get money, didn't get his bride. And as his acquaintance said, it was a very tough story to him. And after that, he went to Berlin at the Hohenheim University of Economics. He continued studying, but... The story with matches didn't finish. Uh, during these years, he has written a lot of books of theory of chemistry. So as we see, he mm, didn't give up with the science and with the chemistry. And he contributed to the development of chemical terminology in Hungarian. So he is really like famous scientist in Hungary. And he continued his searchings. He was engaged in the acidity of the soil. And he was thinking about how to reduce it with chalk. And also he gathered his own agriculture machine. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so he was really like he had a wide outlook on the life and he had, I think, more than just one profession. So I'm inspired by such kind of people. But coming back to Match's story, he went back to it in 1839. He opened his own factory and the factory was the best manufacturer and he increased his production to more than half a million high quality and cheap matches per day but again this story ended very sad because poor guy <laughs> yes he's not ex father-in-law but actually his failed father-in-law again Istvan Römer wanted to close his factory and that's why Irini had to close it in 50s of 19th century. So this man ruined all the efforts of Janusz to have his own business and just to live and to get some profit from it. Really cruel person. A really cruel yeah. person. He deserves uh, some role in a movie, you know, <laughs> where the protagonist is fighting against some evil because this guy is evil yeah i i don't know why i really don't know the motives of He course wanted money i think <laughs> and that's uh, the yeah. only motivation yeah but still we remember janusz and we remember his invention and thanks to that because every day i think a lot of people use matches and we never thought about how many details were connected with just a simple match stick Yeah, wow, Julia, thank you so much. It was such an interesting story and full of intrigue and yeah. <laughs> this, uh, I don't know, wow, I have uh, goosebumps actually now. Yeah, wow. And thank you to Janusz Irini for matchsticks. Safe matchsticks. Safe yes, matchsticks, yeah. yeah. And uh, I also have uh, a story to tell you. And this story is, of course, about another very famous Hungarian invention. I mean, It's a famous thing that we use every day now and it was invented by Hungarian which was actually a surprise for me because I didn't know about it before before I started this research for this program. I'm talking about vitamin C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting invention, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hardly possible to imagine our life now without vitamin C because yeah. we know that it helps to keep your immune system strong and uh, to be fresh and to stay positive even, I can say. Yeah. And to feel not sleepy because vitamin C is <laughs> very important. Yeah, now I feel that I need vitamin C. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, thanks to Hungarian, actually, now you can go to the pharmacy uh-huh. and buy vitamin C for yourself. Uh-huh. Uh, now it's a foundation of uh, modern nutrition. But um, back to 18th, 19th century, it wasn't that obvious because people didn't know that vitamin C is crucially important for human body. For example... Sailors who went for a long trip on the ships often started suffering from scurvy. Oh yes, this disease connected with teeth. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is a disease uh, that causes uh, bleeding gums, mm-hmm. loose teeth and often, quite often it leads to death of yeah, people. It's dangerous. Yeah, now we know that it's because of lack of vitamin C, because the sailors obviously didn't have, um, at the beginning, didn't have the storage mm-hmm. of uh, lemons or oranges that contain vitamin C. But later, uh, Danish sailors somehow uh, noticed this um, effect. effect, <laughs> yes, and they started equipping their ships with lemons and oranges. But only in 1753, scurvy was recognized by British Medical Society as one of the diseases. There was one interesting um, person, a scientist, physician actually, from Britain called William Stark, who began a series of experiments on diet in nutrition in 1769. And he was acting himself like an object of experiment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and uh, here why I want to tell the story, because I want to show you and to our listeners how sometimes scientists are so obsessed with their idea that it could hurt even them. Mm-hmm. 
So Stark uh, was consuming only bread and water for 31 days. Then he added some food to his diet one by one, including some olive oil, meat and milk. And in two months, he recorded that his gums started to swollen. Mm -hmm. So he started to suffer from scurvy. Seven months later, he died. Oh, God, it's so fast, actually. Seven months. Yeah. He was consuming only meat, starch, but uh, he didn't consume any fresh vegetables Mm -hmm. or fruits. So. Yeah, and um, I want to underline maybe for our listeners who experiment with some diets, especially like very popular diet when you consume only meat, only protein, it could be very dangerous because your body needs elements that you consume from vegetables and fruits as well. Later, Scottish scientist James Lind noticed the power of citrus and by 17. 95, thanks to him, the lime juice was a must for any crew within entire British fleet. So finally, they decided not to make any experiments anymore. Yeah, at least they had something. But now our hero appears. And I'm talking about Albert St. Dürth. Uh who is a Hungarian scientist. He was studying in the University of Budapest, but his studies were interrupted by World War I. But he was very strong pacifist and uh, he didn't want to go to fight. And actually, he wounded himself. He shot himself to the arm with a revolver because he wanted to return to his studies, to his Mm -hmm. science. And finally, he finished university in 1917. After that, he was also going to different European universities to study. And in 1930, he returned to Hungary and became a professor of medical chemistry in the University of Szeged. He met J.L. Swirpey. Sorry if I don't pronounce Right. He is an American-born chemist, but with Hungarian descent. Mm. And together they started to make some researches on the topic of nutrition. They held a series of experiments with guinea pigs. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, these uh, very nice and cute animals. Because they had a theory that guinea pigs consume vitamin C, kind of similar to human mm-hmm. humans, because they need this element for their bodies to digest the food in the right way. So these two scientists, they divided guinea pigs into two groups. And I'm sorry, Julia, but it's going to be a bit cruel. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's go to the end. <laughs> because the first group of guinea pigs was fed only with boiled food. If you boil food, you destroy vitamin C. Mm-hmm. And another group of guinea pigs was fed with fresh vegetables and fruits. Which group was a happy group? What do you think? Mm, the second one, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. But what do you think happened to the first group? Yeah, I wanted to ask you. Um, so, well, I can suggest that finally they were dead, but maybe something awful also happened to them before they come dead. Yeah, <laughs> you are Maybe absolutely right. I think they lost something. I don't know. <laughs> if you were talking about uh, actually teeth, I yeah. think it could have the same effect with these green epics. Yeah, you're right, because they were suffering of scurvy, Mm -hmm. and in the end, these poor pigs, Guinea pigs, they died. I'm really sorry for them, because animals are mm, such uh, pure creatures, Uh, scientists. Okay. But also thanks to them. That they opened, yes, this, uh, all this information, and now we know. Yeah. Okay, then. But um, just to quickly finish this story about vitamin C, so this is Guinea Pig's experiment was very important for that. So they realized that, yes, vitamin C is crucially important, but they couldn't take, let's say, take vitamin C out of lemon and orange, which was kind of obvious to do mm-hmm. because of sugars. 
And then Saint George, he continued experimenting with the different types of vegetables and fruits, but he couldn't couldn't find this thing that he can use to take vitamin C from. And then there is a very interesting story because actually Seged is the capital of paprika in mm-hmm. the world, that famous Hungarian paprika. St. George said that one night his wife served him red paprika for supper. And uh, in his autobiography, he wrote, I didn't feel like eating it, so I thought of a way out. Suddenly, it occurred to me that this is the one plant I had never tested. I took it to the laboratory. About midnight, I knew that it was a treasure chest full of vitamin C. Yeah. So actually, we have to say thank you to St. George and to Paprika, to Hungary for vitamin C that we can use to be healthy. By the way, he won Nobel Prize in 1937. So he is one of the Nobel Prize mm-hmm. winners. Yeah, I heard about that fact that peppers, paprika includes lots of vitamin C. So more than in lemons and oranges, yes, as you mentioned before. But I never knew that it was like Hungarian discovery and yeah <laughs> it's yeah. interesting really i was also surprised and actually now i really want to make a t-shirt which would say paprika rules you know <laughs> or yeah. paprika rocks <laughs> cool. and by the way do you love paprika and some peppers i really like it yes and uh, here in Hungary, you have paprika in so many different instances, like super hot paprika, crazy hot paprika. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes sweet paprika also, yes. Yeah, can, nice. I love eating it. And while I'm cutting it for, for example, salad, I can eat just um, all the paprika. And I will have no salad, but paprika inside me. <laughs> doesn't matter how you consume it. Just really try and try to have this habit eating paprika yeah. it will be <laughs> useful oh it's a good story inspiring a bit sad also I'm really for Guinea pigs but okay we can't open something big and interesting if we don't sacrifice something unfortunately but the next story will be I think the positive one because this is a story of Hungarian inventor who was very successful and he was such an interesting and amazing person because in his life he has tried lots of different professions. Mm-hmm. I'm yes, I'm talking about Lajlo Jozef Biro and oh. yes, he was actually a hypnotist, Ooh. graphologist, race car driver insurance agent and even a customs officer oh my god did he live for 300 years so what (laughs) when did he have uh, so much time to do all these things Mm, i think it depends on personality today people would definitely say that he actually wasn't consistent or kind of that yeah but i really i admire this kind of people. I, yeah, yeah, me too. It wasn't like he was not going deep into the spheres, but he was working with all these people and he was in the science and that's how he became an inventor, actually. I think inventors are very unusual people. They're so, always looking for something, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, I have opened, I have discovered this sphere and I should go to another one. Mm-hmm. Let's move <laughs> on. Yeah, and mostly we know him as a creator of modern ballpoint pen. Wow. Yeah. So now all of us, I think, uses once a day or maybe more this simple thing but it was his invention that not only ballpoint pen i can say also about an automobile automatic transmission it is also his discovery he created a washing machine and deodorant as well so this four five even five Yes, five creations is made by him. And most of them, at least ballpoint pen and deodorant, we have it, all of us, I think, yes, at, yes. at home or 
Yeah. Now we can't imagine our life without these items. <laughs> yeah. But well, let's go a bit into his um, history. He was born in Budapest in uh, 1899. And at the age of 18, he was drafted into the army. He safely fled from it, from the front line with his friends. And after war, Bureau began to study at the medical university. But soon he left it. So, again, I think people would say that, oh, how could you leave it and blah, blah, blah. But it is the second Hungarian who left the um, army. Yeah. In our yeah, as you said, yes, program. they are obsessed of uh, being in science and of looking for these answers for their questions they had. So then he became seriously interested in hypnosis and he made a lot of experiments, even dangerous, but then he refused. And in 1930, he came up with a home washing machine. So this washing machine could work from an ordinary gas burner. In 1931, he went to the Budapest International Fair. And it was first time when he showed his large ballpoint pen. And I even found the pictures of the project of this ballpoint pen. So it wasn't like, ah, okay, let's do it like that. But he had these special papers with all the measures, you know, and it also really, it makes you feel that, oh my God, if we should make projects for such a small thing, <laughs> so what about other, I don't know, cosmic... Uh, space yes, exploration. Yeah, yeah. It's it, I think, deserves to be estimated by other people. And so at this Budapest International Fair, he presented his like first uh, project of this pen. And later he started to create miniature, miniature prototype, but similar to this first project. And what he opened, he realized that the ink used to print newspapers. They were getting on paper and dries very quickly. And that's how he began to feel the contents of the pen with this type of ink. And after that, he, of course, became to making experiments with some jelly-like ink for this pen. And the final version was ready in 1938. At Christmas this year, the inventor decided to leave Hungary with his patient. So he had already had the patient in his pocket and actually he did it in the right time because after January 1939 law prohibited the export of inventions from Hungary so mm. he was lucky <laughs> yes, <laughs> to go away from German Nazis and in 1945 this patient was bought by Marcel Bick And I think everyone knows these big, big pens. Yeah. Ah, this yellow pen. Yeah. Oh, not only yellow, but uh, yeah, my the most, yes, the most well-known. Yeah, yeah, big pen. Yeah. yeah, so that's how Hungarian inventions are coming into our lives and into different parts of the world. But the end of the story is really interesting because after his escape from Hungary, <laughs> he chose Argentina as his new homeland. Hmm. Yeah, and still Argentinian people know him. And actually a happy occasion brought Biro to the president of Argentina that time. So they were really good friends. And uh, he died, of course, there in Buenos Aires at the age of 87. So he lived a very long and beautiful life. And, and still, full of everything. Yes, <laughs> yes. So his invention was successful and it's still well known. We know his like bureau pen first pen we know big and by the way also Germans bought his patient and their ballpoint pen was called exact so maybe it still exists in Germany I don't know but I think that German people know about that wow that's very interesting and actually I'm holding a ballpoint pen right in my hands right now, now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I use it every day and it's much more convenient than um, feather pen 
yes, pans, yes. though I never tried the feather. But I think, no, some people love it, but I think it's for some creative people, maybe when you are sitting and you can think and you have your time. But ballpoint pen is really very convenient to write something in very quick way and easily to use it. So that's why this invention was so, so important for us and still it is very interesting and very useful i dare yeah. say thank you laszlo biro yeah <laughs> and i have another i would say series of stories but all of uh, these stories and these hungarians are connected to the topic of cars mm-hmm. so lovers of cars you should prepare <laughs> your yeah. ears and i can assure you that you will be very surprised about what i'm going to tell you now uh-huh. okay let's see <laughs> i will begin from far away there is a hungarian word kochi which mm-hmm. means car basically I remember it from our tickets, actually, and you were telling us Kochi, Heli, am I right? Is it connected? Or yeah, is it another word? It's the same word. Uh-huh. It's Kochi, uh, but it was like train tickets. Yes, yes. But it's also called car. Like the same, yes. Yeah. Um, and I remember that I couldn't understand where should I go. And okay, <laughs> but now, yes, it's... Very simple. Thanks, <laughs> Hungarians. <laughs> Thanks, Sasha. <laughs> yeah, so this word, kochi, is quite interesting because it went to different languages, this kochi, because it's the same as couch yeah, in English. Uh-huh. And coach in meaning of uh, this kind of car that is connected to horses. horses? Oh. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, in other languages, you could also find very similar word that describes the same thing. You can check it. How is it in your language? And actually, this word originates from a settlement in Komarom Estragom County named Koch. Because in 15th century... Oh, so far ago. Yes. Oh, but yes, if we're talking about <laughs> horses, then of course. <laughs> <laughs> so they used to make this kind of coaches. And legend says that King Matyash, Hungarian king, mm-hmm. was keen on using the Kochi cart as well. And actually, I've never checked, but in the article that I read, it says that since 1998, locals in this place, in Koch, organize a cart pushing competition every year to preserve the tradition of their ancestors. So maybe we should go and check it out <laughs> somehow. But uh, it's not everything about cars, because there is a very interesting story connected to, I would say, the most legendary car ever. Do you know which car I'm talking about? We have so many different types of cars. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't know. Okay, I will tell you. I'm talking about Ford Model T. Oh. <laughs> and this car, I just to remind, it's legendary and it's like a life-changing car. Yes. Because it was first ever car which was produced in millions of copies mm-hmm. it was also called tin lizzy and uh, they produced this car from 1908 till 1927 in uh, the factory of ford in detroit why why it was produced in such a big number because uh, they used assembly line instead of individual hand crafting the mm, first mm-hmm. time And uh, why Hungarians? Yes. Well, <laughs> I have the same question. So where are Hungarians here? Well, I will tell you because there was um, a Hungarian engineer called Jozef Galamp mm-hmm. who finished Budapest Industrial Technology Engineer course in 1899. Then he worked first in Hungary, in Dijdior, at steel engineering factory he began traveling as well as other hungarians we were talking about today it's very common for hungarians to travel abroad or to start their oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic career abroad and finally in 1904 he heard about american auto world fair 
he decided to go to the USA to visit it mm-hmm. because he was very into the topic of engineering cars. And uh, yeah, after he went there, he decided to stay. He spent some time in New York, but then he went to Detroit to visit some friend or yeah, friend. I think it was friend. He got to know about this Ford factory and after a while he was employed by the factory of Ford and he became the chef designer of the company. So basically he was taking part in developing the details, the most important details for Ford T model, but mm-hmm. not only him because there was another Hungarian called Jeno Farkas who started to work at Ford in 1917. And it's kind of not easy to say who did what, but both Mm -hmm. of these Hungarians, they took part in creating this very famous life-changing, industry-changing model of Ford. Yeah, sounds uh, really, you know, fundamentalistic if I can say like that because I'm sure that different people took part in this I mean not only Hungarians but as our topic today about Hungary and Hungarians creators it was really interesting to know about new names and new people I mean for us new I could never think that (laughs) yeah these guys But before we move on, I also want to mention another name, another Hungarian also connected to the industry of cars. And his name is Bela Bareni. And this engineer took part in creating Volkswagen Beetle, another world famous car. And uh, it's also like industry changing car because Volkswagen car for people. And also Bela Bareni, he was a big contributor into the safety of cars. So, again, thanks to Hungarians, we have such great things. And these two trademarks, I think, the most famous ones. And now we know that Ford name and Volkswagen name are connected to Hungarians also. Hmm, interesting story. <laughs> if we were talking about some machines and automobiles, I would like to go maybe to something lighter, but it's just at the first glance. Well, I have a question, Sasha. <laughs> okay. Do you remember this different colored cube which sometimes makes people crazy? <laughs> and did you have it actually in your childhood? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. You're talking about Rubik's Cube. Yeah. And yes, I had it as a child, as a toy. I think everybody in our age, kids of our age, they had it, yeah. at least in Russia. And well, it was funny to play with it, but I never, ever, ever managed to Collect solve it. it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Actually, the first time I saw a person doing it, it was here in Hungary. It was Hungarian. Mm. <laughs> so, if we need help, we can call him and ask him. <laughs> He's a pro in that. <laughs> yeah, but I also never ever had managed with this puzzle. But I was trying and I really wanted. But after one hour playing with it, I left it and throw it aside <laughs> yes because for me it was like oh my god i'm a stupid one and sometimes i could see how fast people do it so maybe it's not for me i don't know but i think it's the most obvious thing which we can connect with hungary yeah everybody knows i think that this puzzle was invented by the hungarian sculptor and professor of architecture Erno Rubik. Rubik worked as a lecturer at the Department of Interior Design of the Budapest Academy of Applied Arts and Craft. And the invention was in 1974. So it's kind of recent. Yes. And according to one version, this Rubik's Cube was originally created as a tutorial. So with this help of this item, Rubik tried to explain to his pupils the basics of mathematical theory of groups again connected (laughs) with science and Mm -hmm. with mathematics so that's their connection this form of this puzzle and his vision of this puzzle and Rubik wanted to 
assemble this cube in such a way that its individual elements could freely rotate in their places, but without violating the whole structure, the structural unity of this entire device. And the first model was presented like a set of 27 cubes, Each was made of wood and hand-painted. But later they left 54 faces and changed the color a little bit. And after some time he improved this mechanism which now allows us to rotate all the faces easier and faster. And now we know that even sometimes there are held in different countries these special like contests who will assemble it Faster. Have you seen, by the way, that now it's not only cube, but also these Rubik's, I don't know, any type of figures, figures think, yeah. and uh, it looks <laughs> even more crazy. Yeah, I really don't know who now created. It seems more crazy than cube. I think first step should be Rubik's Cube. But you know, there are some instructions how to do it. So. Yes, and even by the way, in the USSR, when this puzzle was starting to appear in this special magazine called Young Technician, we had a lot of instructions really how to assemble it. And even me, I think I remember this, you know, special pages where you could find the pictures how to rotate the faces <laughs> okay julia i have an idea i will be brave enough to set a challenge for us that by the end of the year we have to be able to assemble rubik's cube yeah it's a cool challenge <laughs> let's do it yes i'm in okay <laughs> okay but you know first actually who tried this puzzle of course we were friends of rubik and some of his students and after that he <laughs> didn't have friends anymore. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? The most interesting that some English psychologists made an unusual experiment. They gave this puzzle to the apes, anthropoids, apes. And at first, these chimpanzees reacted with extreme interest to this puzzle. Like they wanted to solve it. They were studying this item. But after some time, they began to worry. <laughs> they felt anxiety. They turned into very strong excitement. And in the end, it was real despair. <laughs> I can say that I understand their feelings feelings because it's connected with that fact that you can't assembly these pieces and as a result so one monkey just throw the cube away yes from the cage the other monkey tried to eat it and the third was so angry this monkey actually has broken this cube <laughs> into small small pieces yeah the second example when poor animals are suffering okay at least this monkeys didn't end up like Like Winnie and Pixie, in the previous <laughs> example of using animals as, you know, object of yeah. experiment. However, this behavior was observed not only in monkeys. What I would like to say, according to this experiment, these English psychologists and even psychiatrists and neuropathologists said that some people working with this toy, turning these different faces in their hands for more than hour, and they have no result. They really began to get nervous, <laughs> crazy, yes, very angry. And it showed that some people who were really like disbalanced and became aggressive, they had some problems with health. So the cube also can be an indicator if you are okay or if you maybe have some problems for now. So that's how, you know, this cube became very popular in the 1980s in a lot of other countries. The USSR, the USA, Great Britain, France and Germany. And in original it is called, as we say, Rubik's Cube, but in some countries they call it Magical Cube or Hungarian Cube. And it doesn't matter how you call it, so just try to finish this game. Let's keep and through our challenge. I hope it will be successful. <laughs> yes, me too. But now since we stated it in uh, the air, we have to do it for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, dear listeners, keep updated. We will tell you how we are succeeding in it or not succeeding. We'll see. Yeah, it's a very interesting 
but uh, I think that Rubik's Cube is one of the things that are associated with Hungary very much. Like, if you ask anyone about Hungary, it will be like Budapest and Rubik's Cube for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a very, very famous invention of Hungarian. <laughs> We won't tell you about goulash. <laughs> but as for me, as a food lover, I would like to talk about goulash, but... Well, not in this program. (laughs) And um, I want to tell you about another invention, another big thing that was actually made by Hungarians. But again, as before, I didn't know it was Hungarian thing. And uh, have you ever heard about Pulitzer Prize? I've heard like some other things or names of something, but to be honest, I don't know deeper information. So if you have to tell us something, yes, I'm really eager <laughs> to know. Yes, yes, I do. So Pulitzer Prize is actually a very famous and prestigious award for achievements in newspaper, magazine and online journalism, literature and musical composition. And uh, this prize is established in the United States. So, mm-hmm. you know, in some movies or series uh, that are made in USA, you can see, oh, he's a winner of Pulitzer Prize, oh, yeah, Pulitzer Prize. Mm-hmm. It's like Nobel's Prize in literature, kind of. So by the name, you can guess that if it's Pulitzer Prize, it's... Uh, the name uh, of somebody. Yes, <laughs> the Pulitzer is the name of somebody, but somebody who? <laughs> okay, if this program is about Hungarians... Some Hungarian guy, maybe. (laughs) Yes, you are again right. (laughs) Absolutely right. So actually, this is the name of Hungarian person, Jozef Pulitzer, and he is better known as Joseph Pulitzer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, but Jozef is a very Hungarian name. And uh, he was born in uh, Hungary in 1947 in the town called Mako. And here, now I realized that I forgot to tell you before, but this Mako is a uh, quite an interesting town because it gave us uh, Jozef Pulitzer. I read that it's famous for its onions, mm-hmm. but also I told before about Jozef, also Jozef. Galamp, who was an engineer who worked for Ford. Yes, and he, yes. Uh-huh. He was also born in Mako. What a surprise. Uh, both Jozefs, yes, from Mako. <laughs> Two famous Jozefs from Mako and Onions. We should go there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jozef Pulitzer, we will not go too deep into his early ages. In the end, he immigrated to USA in 1974. And why he is so famous? Well, he was a journalist. He was also a politician because at first he was a member of the Republican Party, mm-hmm. but then he changed for Democratic Party. He was elected as a congressman from New York and he crusaded against big businesses, corruption, and he actually helped to keep the Statue of Liberty in New York. But going back to the prize, to establish prize, you have to donate a big, large amount of mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. which he did. He actually donated to Columbia University 10 million dollars in oh, his will. Oh, my God. And he donated it in order to establish a school of journalism, mm-hmm. which was established, and it exists now, and it's one of the most prestigious university for journalism in the world. And after they established this prize for the most talented people, where did he get this money? When you told that, okay, 10 million dollars, and my eyes were opened so widely. <laughs> okay, yes, really, where? Especially back then. It was more money than we can imagine now, but Uh back then it was even more money. Well, actually, he made a fortune as a publisher and he owned a a newspaper called New York World, which is also like a big step in publishing world because he was competing with another newspaper who were his rivals, let's say. It was connected not only to profits or to political views, but also because the writers of this newspaper called um, they kind of shared anti-semitic uh, mm-hmm, thoughts mm-hmm. and uh, they also called uh, Josef Joy the German or Joy the Jew. He wanted to compete with this uh, newspaper and it's quite interesting because uh, during this competition it was New York Journal 
his competitors. So they kind of occasionally developed the techniques of yellow journalism. Hmm. And yellow journalism, as you know, it's like um, low fact-checking and mm-hmm. attraction of the readers with the, the topics like sex, crime, yeah, graphic horrors, yes, gossip. way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, because people were very much attracted by these kind of topics, he, uh, Joseph or Josef Pulitzer managed to grow the number of copies of his newspaper from 15,000 to 600,000. And his newspaper, which is New York World, became the largest newspaper in the whole USA. And he made a great job here, actually. Yeah, and this completely changed the industry because mm-hmm. they started to get profit out of advertisements rather than from, so from political mm-hmm. contribution Strong or use. price for covers. Uh-huh. So he was the first who made it. And now we have so much advertisement <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now also we have these forms of journalism like uh, gossips, entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, of Still. course, as you said, advertising is a big thing in media. Okay, just buy or not buy <laughs> this or that magazine. Yeah. But you see, he changed the industry, he got a lot of money, but he didn't keep it for himself, but he invested into this uh, university, into this prize. And thanks to him, young talent talented people have an opportunity to get some financial support to continue their studies, their development. And I think it's a great thing. Yeah, I agree. Because I remember even our institute life and we were learning some subjects connected with entrepreneurs. And I remember that these people, yes, as you said, they tried to donate their money, not to save for themselves, but to invest it for the future young people and it's really a cool thing. Yeah, I think it's a great thing. But on the other hand, if (laughs) this is my just personal opinion, if you have that amount of money that you couldn't spend during your whole life, then yeah, why not Mm -hmm. to give it to the people? And here I want to mention really briefly another Hungarian philanthropist who is not really liked uh, by Hungarian government at the moment. And Mm -hmm. I'm talking about George Soros, also known as George Soros, mm-hmm. who was born in Budapest, but later he immigrated. So now he's American-Hungarian billionaire, investor and philanthropist, and he has his own foundation. Mostly we know him because of his donations, but also, yeah, he takes a big part in political Issues? processes. Uh-huh. Central European University, I think it's a good uh, place to study that established by him and many people from all around the world can study there for free because they give a lot of scholarships. And I actually studied in the school in Russia, which was established thanks to foundation of George Soros. I didn't know he was Hungarian and uh, yeah, I didn't know anything of that. Mm-hmm. So somehow I also have to thank him and these Hungarian philanthropists for their investments into education and science. People will always remember you if you do something like for everyone. After these deep thoughts and deep discussion, I would like again to play a bit. (laughs) Yeah. As we don't talk about food today, I would like to talk about <laughs> what <kid>. a pity. <laughs> yeah. But no, we had a lot of discussions about different types of dishes. So yes, now it's time to have a break. And this was my favorite toy in my childhood. I am talking about tumbler. Or roly-poly. Roly-poly. So this kind of toy, which never falls down on the ground. (laughs) Unlike some of us. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember, did you have this when you were a child? Yeah, I think that uh, we are the same age with you (laughs) and we had pretty much the same toys. Unlike nowadays kids, they have like one million of toys and everybody gives them different toys. But we had... We had the the starch. (laughs) Yes, we had the same. But I would like to say that these toys were really, they had this special spirit, you know. And my roly-poly was looking as matryoshka. 
Nesting yeah. doll. Yeah. <laughs> the red one. And I really loved her. And also she had a bell. And when yeah. I've tried, yes, to make it fall down, mm-hmm. it began to ring. So it, it was my favorite one. <laughs> I think till five years old, I was totally in love with it. And now I can present you a roly-poly for adults. <laughs> yes. Okay. But it's my own, like, personal name of this invention. This is the item created in 2006, so not far ago. And this is an amazing development of two Hungarian mathematicians. Again, toys are connected with very deep research in physics, in mathematics. So two Hungarian mathematicians, Gabor Domokos and Peter Varconi. What did they do? They managed to create, and now be <laughs> careful, dear listeners, I'm gonna say some difficult definitions. So they managed to create a homogeneous object, yes, <laughs> which always returns to its original position. Principle is the same with the roly-poly. You push this object, but this object came back into the original position. And the difference is that this tumbler toy had special weight inside. So that's why it can't fall down. But their aim was to find the whole body, this special object, the special shape, which will do it without any special weight inside. So that's the definition of homogeneous object. And this body got the name from the Hungarian word gomb. So gombets, it's the original name of this invention. Mm-hmm. And Hungarian word gomb means sphere. So this toy for adults <laughs> looks kind of sphere. So as I said, the main difference is that tumbler toy is not some geometric body. It's kind of toy. As we said, it is looking like a doll maybe. And this special load, this special weight is at the bottom of the tumbler. But the interest of these two mathematicians was the existence of geometric body with similar properties which has this tumbler toy. And these guys... Gabor Damokos from the Budapest University of Technology and Economics and Peter Varconi from Princeton University. They were trying to find this homogeneous tumbler. And they were able to prove that any plane figure has at least two points of stable equilibrium and at least two points of unstable equilibrium. And this research further was transferred to the three-dimensional space. And finally, they invented this special geometrical body. You really can find it because Gumbots has its own website. Mm-hmm. Yes. I also saw it in the souvenir shop in uh, Budapest Parliament. And I was very surprised. I was looking at it like, what okay, is that? Yeah. what is this? <laughs> what should you do with this? It's weird. But now, thank you, Julia, I know. <laughs> yeah, so for me, it is still weird. And I think, Sasha, it's because we are not scientists with you. <laughs> so yes, we just true. we couldn't understand because for us, it is important, maybe as girls also, these things to be beautiful and kind of that. But maybe this think can be interesting really for some engineers or some other people who loves science and who loves different um, shapes. And also, I think it can be a really interesting and good surprise and present you bring from Hungary instead of this, you know, stuff like magnets and other items. Actually, I think it could be a good present for kids too because yeah. they are exploring and it's something new for them and uh, I think I would bring someone this thing I really like it yeah it looks very mathematical and <laughs> yes it looks interesting it is not uh, very beautiful very colorful but still a Rubik's cube maybe is not also the beautiful one <laughs> it's just a cube with different color painted items but still we love it and I'm sure that gumbets will be also loved uh, we just need time so the Rubik's cube was invented in 1974 and in 19 
1980s it became popular okay six years more and from 2006 14 years okay let's wait a bit later <laughs> why not but i will definitely buy one gumbets for myself as present from hungary yeah and me too after we finish uh, assembling rubik's cube yeah <laughs> okay okay but um you know now since you started to talk about these very recent inventions and also these experiments with forms by hungarians you reminded me about one very interesting thing and i learned about it just a year ago it's called tech ball it's a very interesting sport a new sport it sounds very new because i have never heard about it what <laughs> is that what is it looking like so basically this kind of sport combine football and table tennis so our beloved ricardo and andre uh -huh. i think they will <laughs> like it because they like yeah. both football and ping pong mm -hmm. they're practicing a lot in ping pong but uh, they practicing in watching football as far as i know So basically, if you cannot decide which sport you prefer the most, football or table tennis, you can just forget about this, you know, dividing yourself into two sports and go with tag ball. Because in 2014, so it's just uh, six years yeah. ago, mm -hmm. it was invented by two Hungarians. First is Gabor Borsani, who is a professional player, and Viktor Husar, who is a computer scientist so it's a you know a unity of sportsmen mm -hmm. and science men mm -hmm. and what did they do they actually created a kind of curved table mm, you see curvy is mm -hmm. uh, a trend <laughs> <laughs> so not plain <laughs> <laughs> well of course it's easier to see it once but since we cannot show you this table <laughs> on the screen <laughs> i will try to explain it so it looks like a table for ping pong mm -hmm. but it's curved Yeah, I think in the middle, yes. In the middle, uh -huh. yes. It's like a bit of spherical form. Mm -hmm. And they even have this uh, slogan, this motto of the company, that with tech ball, the world is curved. Mm -hmm. And why football? Because actually you play with football. <laughs> ball. Mm -hmm. And with feet. <laughs> <laughs> So, what was the inspiration for Tech Ball? Gabor, the creative force in the team, came up with the idea when he was a young professional soccer player, mm -hmm. football player. Mm -hmm. When he couldn't get access to a football pitch, he would practice with a friend passing a football across one of the many concrete ping-pong tables found outside residential buildings in Budapest. We can say that ping-pong is very popular in Hungary, mm -hmm. isn't it? I think ping-pong is very popular all over the world <laughs> really you will find this game everywhere <laughs> so later he realized that by simply adding a curve to the top of a table you can create a far more enjoyable game which is now became tag ball mm -hmm. what is interesting yeah it's very young it's very young type of sports but actually it was already been championship for tag ball and uh, tag ball attracted some world-class football players. Also, it was included at the African Beach Games. Mm -hmm. And now this company, they are aiming for Olympics inclusion. Sounds um, very ambitious, I can say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I really would like to try it. Yeah, since I haven't tried ping pong here in Hungary, classical ping pong, I really would like to try something more complicated than just ping pong. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's a bit like hard because you should kick the ball like in football, but at the same time you should aim kind of high, mm -hmm. but not far because there is a table. But if you take a look at the videos of these games, you will see that, I don't know, maybe it's just my impression, but it looks kind of, you know, exciting and mm -hmm, funny mm -hmm. because maybe this bouncing ball, because it bounces so funny. I don't know why am I so excited <laughs> by bouncing balls, but it really creates the mood of something very enjoyable, positive, and like there is no pressure, but players are just enjoying the mm -hmm. game. And it's possible to play in two 
but also it's possible to play in teams mm-hmm. so like two versus two yeah you can choose the options as you wish mm-hmm. yeah and I think well, we should try exciting yeah <laughs> now we can have championship in ping pong in Rubik's Cube assemblies <laughs> and yeah tech ball we should try all these games till the end of the year until the end of our project because <laughs> time is flying so fast and oh my god the time of our program is already over also and uh, I would like to continue talking about <laughs> all these interesting creations and inventions because and, there are still yeah. more aside yeah. there are many other inventions by we had such a great list guys to talk about today but okay for now we hope that you loved the program and the issues we were talking about I hope that you found something new and maybe you will try some game or maybe you will try to make your own invention and to go to the history of the world you will probably be more successful if you were born in Hungary and <laughs> then left abroad <laughs> yeah. but not always <laughs> yeah so thank you Sasha it was a very very interesting I can say adventure you know because it was like we were coming through the history and we were searching for such an amusement facts so thank you for this discussion and I hope we will meet again maybe later yeah maybe <laughs> in the office <laughs> yeah I mean here in the studio to talk about some other interesting discoveries yeah and thank you Julia yeah for me it was also very very interesting it was like an eye-opener I learned a lot of new things and I hope our listeners was enjoying too yeah so see you all of you in a week in our conversation cultural program on Mushtar FM. Today, we were with you, Julia and Sasha. Goodbye. Bye-bye. What is culture without life? In our cultural program, we will discuss about the power of culture to change the comprehensions and the actions of our lives. Music, cinema, painting, books, photography, poetry, and more and more. If you want to discover more about them, we invite you to join us every Friday from 10 to 12 on Mushtar FM 89.6.